Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good? What's good? What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Monday. We are back at it in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Uh, big show for uh, us today, uh, obviously, around the NFL, including right here in Las Vegas. It was day one of the of phase three of the offseason program, which meant we got about as close to football as we possibly can, uh, excuse me, this time of year, where uh, definitely not, no hitting or pads or anything like that. Uh, but offense against defense, 11 on 11, 7 on 7, some semblance of actual football. Uh, no, uh, the media was not there uh, at the Henderson facility today, but we will be out there Thursday. I can't wait to see what this thing looks like uh, out on the grass, who's lining up where, hint, hint, uh, and all those good things. Uh, we'll have all of that for you uh, on Thursday. Um, from what I understood, though, uh, tremendous uh, attendance today for the Raiders, including Darren Waller. Somebody had asked me on Twitter, if I thought that Darren Waller was going to uh, be at um, phase three of the of, of, of OTAs, I know he was on a recent interview. By the way, we're going to have that uh, interviewer, uh, Ross Tucker, on the show this week, hopefully tomorrow, to talk about the great podcast that he had with Darren, where the contract uh, talks came up and somebody asked, well, is Darren Waller going to use this as leverage uh, to go try to get a new contract? The answer is no. Um, not he's He was there today uh, at practice uh, in Henderson, so that's good news. Um, we've got a great show uh, at 4.10 from The Athletic. We have uh, Richard Deitich, uh from The Athletic. He's going to come on to talk about all the changes, and there's been a bunch of changes on the broadcast side of the NFL. It's, you're you're going to need a scorebook to keep track of where everyone is right now. Uh, in, that includes Troy Aikman uh, and, and who's doing the Monday night game, who's doing the Sunday night game, who's got Fox's uh, national game and CBS's national game each week. So uh, get a notebook out because there's big changes, uh, and Richard's going to uh, help us um, get through all of that. Uh, and try to set the record straight on where everyone's going to be because there are some big changes, including the introduction of um, Prime. What is it, uh, Devon, that's coming on on Thursday nights now? Prime? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Rights. Yeah, so uh, we've got that. We'll talk about that. Uh, also at 4.30, my good friend and uh, Review Journal, Las Vegas Review Journal columnist, uh, Ed Graney, is going to join us in the huddle at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock, our good friend, a good friend of the show, Rich Ornberger, the former NFL offensive lineman, uh, he's going to join us in the huddle. He's going to break down what exactly goes on during phase three of OTAs, how important it is, how beneficial it is. Uh, granted, there's no hitting, there's no pads, but there's a lot that is happening right now as teams take that next step in preparing for next season and kind of laying the foundation that they're going to use as a springboard during training camp. Uh, and then beyond. So Rich uh, Ornberger is going to be uh, with us at at uh, 5 o'clock. We also want your thoughts and your calls, 702-365-9200. By the way, shout out to everybody that uh, made their way out to Bakersfield this weekend for the uh, summer kickoff, the eighth annual summer kickoff. It was uh, a great event. Tons of people showed up. Uh, lots of great food, music. Uh, I was there uh, helping, kind of emceeing the whole thing. Uh, it was great to talk to so many Raider fans 
who are really anxious for this season to start. Got a chance to see Foster Moreau. Uh, got a chance to see Hunter Renfro. They were there signing autographs, as was young Dylan Parham. A little bit of an interesting story behind all that. He was a late addition, and uh, he was quite the hit uh, with Raider fans uh, who understand how important he could be as early as this year, uh, the young guard from from Memphis. But uh, uh, Denzel Perryman was supposed to be out there on Saturday, uh, but he came uh, up a little bit sick. Uh, nothing serious or anything like that. So, uh, but just to err on the on the on the uh, side of caution, he decided to stay home. But he had a nice video montage uh, and message for the fans uh, out in Bakersfield, uh, and he's going to catch up with them uh, real soon and probably do something during the season in some form or, or fashion. So. Um, Foster Moreau, Hunter Renfro, Tolk, extremely excited about what's going on, uh, talking about grinding it out every day over in Henderson and, uh, and, and how excited they are for, for the season. And just in the middle of March, Damon, in Bakersfield, California, to see so many Raider fans gather together at a local park uh, just to take in their f- the festivities and get a chance to see guys like Hunter and Foster and Dylan, it was a really – it shows you how, um, how 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 faithful this fan base really is. I love that word that you used there because this <laughs> this fan base is faithful. They do Tremendous. have the diehards. Like so, we know that the players they're going to get the attention. You even said Dylan Parham; he was a big hit. Yeah. Uh-huh. But were people coming up to you to be like, "Hey, Vinny, I'm so glad you're here." Did anybody have? Did anybody want to refute maybe a thing or two that you've written, or was it all love? Uh, all love for the most part. There were some people that. Um, you know, hey, I got to defend you sometimes. People call you this or call you that. And I go, look, man, it's all good. I know that there's there's people, and I was toward the end of the event on Saturday. Uh, one fan in particular was talking about how, I guess in the message board, uh, board sometimes people call me a Rams lover, you know, like, uh, and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and he understood it. He knew where I was getting, where, in fact, he said it before I said it. But I literally bring up the Rams because I covered the Rams. And there are some similarities I see in how, you have to understand the Rams stunk. They were terrible. They were uh, horrendous. It was a boring, terrible football team for more than a decade. All right. And they were horrible when they first got to Los Angeles. They won like four games their first season in Los Angeles. But slowly but surely, they started making some good moves and some good additions, some good coaching changes, all of that. And they turned a corner. And all of a sudden, this franchise that had been morbid is back on track in one of the best franchises in the NFL. I'm talking about when I bring up the Rams, I I actually see some similarities between the Raiders. That's a good thing. That's where you want to go. So when I bring up the Rams, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good example to follow because much like the Rams, the Raiders have been bad for a while, (laughs) for a long time. And I'm not speaking out of school to bring that up. You guys know it. I know it. But guess what? They've been, in spite of some of the misses that they had and some of the turmoil and all that, to me, they're headed in the right direction, and I think they're closer than a lot of people think. And as the Rams have shown and other organizations have shown, once you, you're, you're able to make that turn in the right direction and the momentum starts building, you can carry that for a long way. It doesn't have to be fleeting. It doesn't have to be just one year. It could be a good five, six, seven-year run. Every team's going to have their ups and downs, but if you could get on the right side of things, um, and and put together a nice run, which is what the Rams are doing right now and what I truly believe the Raiders are capable of doing too because I do see some similarities. So, yeah, there was a little bit of, a little bit of that. All right. Okay. Well, because when you mentioned this a big event because I was expecting not like fans to come at you, but I'm really, really curious to see what that interaction is like with fans. 
But if everybody's just there for autographs, signing in to have fun with players. They were there to eat, drink, meet with players. Uh, there were music. There were, this thing went on for a long time on Saturday. So um, it, was a, it was at a local park. Uh, so there were vendors. There was a kid zone. Um, there was all kinds of food. There was all kinds of, um, uh, you know, to, to buy merchandise, all of that type of stuff. Uh, so it was a really good day. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we will be right back um, in just a minute or two. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Vodka. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. And we are going to go right out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in from The Athletic, Richard Deitch, uh, who's going to try to explain uh, all of these changes uh, that are uh, imminent or, or have happened, and uh, we're going to get a, a, a spoonful of it here pretty soon uh, when, when you turn on CBS or you turn on Fox or you turn on uh, NBC or ESPN or whoever it is that you're watching the particular game and find out that there's a whole bunch of announcers that have, uh, that have switched sides and changed, and, and Richard's here to talk about it. First of all, Richard, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, always good to be on in Vegas. Appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Richard, you know, we, we with free agency and baseball and basketball and trades and football, you know, you have to get the scorebook out or the, uh, or the roster out sometimes to keep track of what's going on on a year-to-year basis. Um, with with these teams, but it's not been very often that we've had to do that on the broadcast side of things. Um, yes, there's always some tinkering, some changes from year to year, but it just seems like this year, this off season, there's been a ton of change. Why why is that? Would you say? Uh, well, in terms of, I mean, if you want just a very quick, short, pithy answer, it's five letters: M O N E Y. Of course. Yeah, and things in life, of course, change because of that. But, you know, the reality is, like, the, you know, the broadcasting silly season, which you are correct. We've never, certainly when it comes to the NFL, we've never experienced anything like this. You know, the, in the early 2000s, um, there were some big shifts, uh, particularly even when Fox brought in Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Chris Collinsworth uh, to be the replacements for John Madden and Pat Summerall. You know, that was a big deal back then, but nothing, nothing like we've seen now. And... It probably goes back to CBS signing Tony Romo a couple years ago for, this is right before COVID hit, for a record $18 million. And that changed the entire salary structure for a sports broadcasting analyst, and particularly an NFL analyst. So you had a lot of people in, like, the Troy Aikman's position who saw that, and, you know, and their agents and probably thought to themselves, you know what, the, the market has changed, and there's a new ceiling now, and we should sort of see, you know, when our contracts are up, you know, who might be interested in our services. So then, you know, to sort of, sort of, like, sort of spin this a little bit forward and, you know, not to go into every machination of every um, switch, ESPN for a long time has been trying to, uh, let's say, upgrade its Monday Night Football booth. They saw an opportunity when Troy Aikman um, uh, executed an out in his contract to, to negotiate elsewhere. ESPN eventually lands Trey Aikman. Obviously, then it puts Joe Buck into play. Joe Buck wants to work with his old partner. Joe Buck's wife works at ESPN. ESPN makes, obviously, a sizable offer for Joe Buck. That then opens up, of course, Fox's booth. Kevin Burkhart comes in. It looks like Greg Olson is going to be his partner. Obviously, we got the shocker not too long ago. Tom Brady 
coming into Fox nobody saw. That coming, we had a new player in the market, Amazon, in terms of streaming. Uh, there's so much money invested there that they wanted a significant major booth to start their first exclusive streaming service. Thus, Al Michaels moves from NBC to Amazon. They land Kirk Herbstreet from ESPN. Mike Tirico's been sort of the you know the heir to Al Michaels and waiting for a long time. He now pops into the Sunday Night Football booth to pair with Chris Collinsworth. You know, I'm already exhausted at all these moves, but this, <laughs> you know, they're sort of all they're all interchange. They, they're not interchangeable. They, the move sort of it was a domino effect. Let, yeah, right. One move led to another move, and that's why you had all these shifts with the very, very important addition of a major deep-pocketed player in Amazon spending a billion dollars to have its own exclusivity on Thursday night. So you couple all these external factors together, and thus you have what's easily the craziest uh, you know, NFL offseason broadcasting that we've ever seen. We're talking to Richard uh, Deitch from uh, The Athletic, and he's breaking. I loved how he said, I'm not going to give you every connotation, all of that. And then he gives it to us, which I love. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Because it Phil- actually. Filibustering. Phil- <laughs> yeah. No <laughs> doubt about it. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this, Richard. When I was a kid, um, you know, Monday Night Football was Monday Night Football, and there was a magical element to it every Monday night. And, and the crew, I felt. Uh, heightened that magic, um, you know, with with Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and and the partners that they would have, or that third person, kind of a revolving door. But every it was always somebody that you knew and and you looked forward to it. And I felt like, um, you know, when John Gruden was was in the mix, it kind of got back to that to some extent, uh, not quite the way it was, uh, you know, back in the day. But there, he, he brought something to the table, no doubt about it. And there's been – it seems like they've been grasping ever since then. Is that fair to say that, that the Monday night – they've been trying to figure out what the magic touch is uh, after, after Gruden left to become the Raiders coach? Ah, uh, John Gruden, once called Rex, Gun, Rex Grossman a gunslinger. How I remember him way <laughs> yes, back when. right. Um, yeah, you're not incorrect. I mean, you know th- – the thing about Monday Night Football is, in many ways, it's sort of a prisoner of its own history, right? Like, the the booth with Cosell and Meredith and Gifford, it's such an iconic booth. We lived in a three-channel universe then. Monday Night Football was, I mean, it, it was like Sunday Night Football today, like, magnified, like, by levels of three. It just, it was, it was, like, such a revolutionary idea at the time to put a football game at night in prime time. And so, you know, ESPN, in a way, has always sort of been chasing, like, the, um, the cachet of that booth. And you're not incorrect. Like, you know, say what you want about Gruden. I didn't particularly love Gruden, but I understand that he had, like, star qualities or star right. elements to him. And so with Mike Tirico and John Gruden, like, you know, that's, that, that's an A booth. You know, that's a booth that has some sizzle and has some sex appeal, for lack of a better phrase. And, yes, yeah, since then, you know, whether it was uh, – Test, Joe Testor, Booger McFarlane, Jason Witten, you know, may, may his broadcasting career rest in peace, uh, to, uh, to Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy, and, you know, in this, um, in this sort of later version here with Steve Levy. You're right. They, in many ways, they have been trying to chase some kind of star to match the other broadcasters, other broadcasts, I should say. And that, honestly, is a very big reason why their uh, president, Jimmy Pitaro, just decided to basically outlay, you know, more than $30 million to bring in Aikman and Buck because it's their belief, and it's probably, in fact, a correct belief, that Buck and Aikman sort of signify some kind of sizzle the way, you know, Gruden did, the way, like, the Cosell booth did. 
So they paid a ton for it, but I do think, like, you know, unless something crazy happens, and I don't expect it to, you know, they now have, like, what should feel like a Super Bowl booth. You know what I mean? Like, it, it feels big. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into more viewers or anything like that, but to me, with Buck and Aikman, like, Monday Night Football feels bigger. Like, I wish I could explain it better, but it just feels bigger. No, no, no. I completely agree with you. And, and you know, people have say what they want about Joe and, and, and Troy, and, and I get that. But I'll tell you this. Um, even when I'm in a press box covering, you know, the Raiders, as I do, um, if I hear up on the, the television, you know, Troy and, and Joe calling the game, I instantly think in my head, maybe I'm just programmed, that's a big game. That's the big game right exactly. there. Um, exactly. And I, and the same I, and way, uh, yeah, I, was, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's, it's all like, good. It's the, same, it's the same feel. Like, I feel like Al Michaels' voice connotates something big in the NFL. It's I'm with you. I feel Nance and Romo. Like, yes. It's just, it's, it just feels like I should be watching this game. I, I, I completely agree. And I still think, maybe I'm wrong, poke holes in this all you want if you, if, if, if you feel the need. But I feel like fan bases still take that pretty seriously. Like, there's disappointment, when, and not to take anything away from any of the other crews, but when you're a fan and you feel like, oh, my team's in a big game this week, and you find out that it's, that it's Joe and, and, and Troy calling the game or, or the top CBS uh, crew, it kind of gives you a little bit of excitement. Like, all right, somebody's respecting us. We're, we're getting a little bit of respect now. You know, we're, we're, the, we're the big game uh, of the week. Do you, do you feel like that still exists with fan bases? I- I do. I think it's legit. Now, again, you're talking to a New Yorker who's like, you know, <laughs> you better give us the yes. goddamn broadcaster. Um, but you know, a long time, you know, whenever I do like sort of mailbags or hear from um, from viewers, like you will hear like, hey, you know, I'm in the Jacksonville market. Like, why don't we get uh, bigger broadcasters? Or I'm in this market. Like, you know, <laughs> if you get Dick Stockton, like, honestly, no offense to Dick Stockton, mm-hmm. but like it just feels lesser than if you got um, – you know, if you got Romo and Nance or if you got Buck and Aikman. So, yeah, I do think that, um, you know, a fan base is, as a general rule, I think it's sort of part of maybe the fun of sports is everybody sort of many times feels a little like an underdog or like, you know, they don't respect us kind of play. Um, and this filters down sometimes to, like, broadcasting assignments. Probably the other factor is, and it's a real factor, last couple of years with certain teams, um, you know, Dallas, Green Bay, Kansas City in the AFC. Like, the, the, the top broadcasters, ha- New England, like what feels like for like a 15-year run, um, the top broadcasters do many times go to a location what feels like, you know, multiple, multiple times a year. I think Buck, uh, I'm sorry, I, I did an embed with uh, Nance and Romo once in Foxborough. And I, f- I remember I drove to the game with Nance, and he said something to the effect of, did you know, like, this is our, you know, 68th time or something like that we've done a game in the belichick era in new england wow. so like the reality is like if it, i'm my number is probably incorrect but like the reality is like if nance and roma are in new england well that means that you know the number five team is in some other afc market and you don't get the number one team there so yeah i i understand why some um fans would think that because like there is a designation when the network decides to send its number one team to a certain game, they are essentially telling the public this is what we consider our biggest game of the week. 
Yeah, Richard, along those lines, when it comes to is is a color commentator worth it or even the play-by-play, John Skipper, who used to run things at ESPN, he said that he doesn't think that the high prices, that it amounts to this, that it doesn't move the ratings either way. So, so how much does social media maybe play into a factor of these networks? Maybe if we can win social media, even though they don't change the ratings, but winning social media factors into paying these broadcasters such a high amount. Yeah, by the way, I'm laughing only because John, John Skipper says that. By the way, he's correct, yet he paid John Gruden $6, 7000000 million a year. Right. So he believes this, yet he, you know, he went into the ESPN ball. Here's the reality on all this. Like, in terms of a pure return on investment, it is almost impossible to, like, get a $19 million a year return on investment for Tony Romo. Or in Brady's case, you know, whatever it turns out to be, $35, 37000000 million dollars a year like the reality is it's not going to bring in other than curiosity factor maybe for someone's first or second game it's not going to bring in any more viewers you are watching that game because you are interested in that game now here's sort of where i'll put my neck network executive hat on and i'll tell you how these guys think about it let's take brady because that's a really good case tom brady not only will call games for fox but he will be a representative of fox sports so when it comes to when they're selling things to advertisers, when it comes to some kind of fancy Fox outing where you could sit Tom Brady down next to like the president of Ford or the president of Budweiser to close the deal, when you have Tom Brady on like the Ohio State Michigan game, when you have Tom Brady popping on to some kind of, you know, Fox corporate whatever, like what's the value on that? And that's how like these network executives would look at it is like what is the value to be in business with a Tom Brady? What is the value to be in business with a Troy Aikman. And then as it gets to the corporate level, and this is true, these are rounding errors. You know what I mean? Like Disney is a multiple billion dollar corporation. Fox Corp is a multiple billion dollar corporation. 30 million for these corporations is like the three of us honestly going to Starbucks and ordering a latte. I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant. It just is like, these are not big numbers for those corporations. They're big numbers for us. So that's how they would look at it. It's not social media impact. It's not fans clamoring for X. It's a lot of it is honestly. I mean, I sort of this is like a. I feel like this is a sort of a fair analogy. It's like a lot of rich people, and this is like the newest, shiniest, prettiest yacht that they can bank in their harbor and say, "Look at this cool yacht I have." And so, for someone like Lachlan Murdoch, brings Tom Brady in, he brings in this really cool, shiny yacht, and you can bring your friends onto the yacht, and all your friends are going to think this is pretty cool. That's. That's how the corporate sort of world will look at it in terms of a pure return on investment. I don't, I don't know how you sort of value it. You know, like what's the value of Tom Brady sitting down with some rich CEO from Budweiser to, to sign a deal? If the guy ends up signing a deal because he had a great night with Tom Brady, you know, maybe that, you know, who knows? Maybe it's worth even more than $35 million a year. And there's something to be said about you just want to, to have the best at what they do uh, under Correct. your umbrella. And that's what the cost is going to be. Uh, last question. I could talk to you uh, about this for, for days. Uh, but um, last question for you. In the case of Tom Brady, um, I don't know how he's going to do uh, as a color commentator. Um, but I will say this, Richard. Um, I feel like there's been a little bit of a 
release of Tom Brady and his um, personality and, and just the way he's interacting with people, the way he's been on social media. I don't know if he does his own social media, but I'm just going to assume that he has a part in it, let's just say. But I just feel like um, we've seen a change in, in, in Tom Brady. It's less buttoned up, more casual, more approachable. And, and do you think that he's doing that just because he's at this stage of his career or is he laying the groundwork for the next move? Yeah, this is where I wish I could curse because I would say I think some of it is he's just got F you money. And yeah. like, what does it matter? Right. You know what I mean at this point? Um, so I, I think I, th- I think a lot of it's by design, to be, to be honest. Yeah. That's not to say Brady is like calculated in like what he's writing, but I think some of it is by design that I think he's sort of loosening up a little bit. He's transitioning to his his second line. So that's that's part one. In terms of whether he'll be good or not, I, I, I would not dismiss him out of hand to say, like, he's not going to be good because the guy has shown, like, I, I think if you say one thing about Tom Brady, like, he has shown, like, an incredible uh, work, work ethic oh, and yeah. a desire to be great. Like, I mean, it's almost impossible to argue against that. So if he puts his mind to broadcasting, when I say that, like, to learn the broadcasting trade, to learn the mechanics of, of television, which, is you know, it's a, it's a skill you have to learn. You can't just walk on to a set and like learn how to look at the camera, how to um, say things in a concise 20 second soundbite. Like you got to learn all that. So if he's willing to learn all that, like, I think he has a chance to be good because he, he, you know, he, he, he is the greatest quarterback of all time. He will have played against all the people in the league. He'll be talking about, he'll know all the schemes that you have to get, but, and here's my caveat here. Cause I, you know, I've, I've written about this and talked about this to death. If you ask me, will Tom Brady sort of, uh, Will he, will, will he be at Fox at the end of this 10-year deal? I would say no way. I don't think Brady is going to go the distance in this contract because he does not strike me as somebody who wants to be a broadcast lifer. So if I had to predict, I would predict that Brady does like two, three, or four years with Fox. I predict he's pretty good, not revolutionary like Romo, but pretty good. And then I think he will move on to something bigger, either, you know, production company or maybe he'll cut a deal like uh, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have where you don't do a full season but you sort of do the games how you want maybe he tries to get into NFL ownership but he just doesn't strike and again if I if I'm wrong I'll certainly own it but he doesn't strike me as a guy like Collinsworth or Aikman where we're going to see this guy 20 years from now uh calling Fox games so that would be my prediction I don't think he'll be a bust he's not going to be Jason Witten I just I don't know if he's going to be Romo or or Aikman or or Cosell either yeah, uh, it's fascinating to, uh, to to you know wait for that and to see how it all plays out. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I, it could go either way, um, and I, I'm with you. I don't think he's going to last the uh, the ten years. I think he's got uh, other fish to fry and other avenues to uh, to take in his life uh, rather than just be locked down by that. Uh, Richard, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I want to uh, get you on speed dial so I could get you back on as we get closer to the season because I got a whole bunch of questions. Uh, about Amazon Prime and and some other the, the Sunday ticket, all that type of stuff. So uh, hopefully you'll 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 pick up the phone when we call uh, again because we'd love to have you back on, man. Yeah, anytime you want. I uh, I'm a big fan of the Raiders fan base. I love Amy Trask, so uh, so I'm always cool with when with any kind of connection to the Raiders. So all right, happy to do it. Awesome, man. Have a good one. Take care of yourself, brother. Take care. That was Richard Deitch from uh, The Athletic breaking down all the changes on the broadcast booth. We barely even touched on it. There's so much more, uh, and we'll have him back on uh, again down the road. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Monday. 
Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again to the Athletics' Richard Deitch uh, for uh, coming in and explaining all the changes on the broadcast side of things. Uh, I think people are going to be a little shocked if you haven't been uh, keeping score at home to find out that Troy Aikman and Joe Buck are now doing Monday Night Football. Uh, Al Michaels isn't doing Sunday Night Football anymore. He's on the Thursday Night Crew. It's Mike Tirico and Chris Chris Collinsworth uh, on the the Sunday Night Crew. So a whole bunch of changes, and um, we're going to actually get into that with our next guest, uh, among many other things, but uh, welcoming in Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Ed, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Ed, we just had um, Richard Deitch from The Athletic on. Uh, and he was breaking down all the changes on the broadcast side of, of the NFL uh, this year. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we've talked and we're, we're, we're kind of in the same range uh, age wise. Uh, when you were a kid, how big was who the crew was that was calling the game that you were watching? It was really only big if I was going to sleep and Jerry Doggett hadn't had about 10 cocktails oh. with the Dodgers. <laughs> so, because at that point, I didn't know what the score was or what had happened, and Vin had yes. signed off until the late innings. There's a uh, long so, drive to yeah, out yeah. to second base. God love Jerry. Yes. Uh, you know, God love you. You, you. you were a Dodger fan as well, so we know. No, I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's funny because you know announcers sometimes are like coaches. They shouldn't be the game, um, but the personalities today are so big with analytics and how calling games have changed. And now betting. Now you have you know announcers openly talking about spreads in the middle of the game. The over just changed. The number just changed. It's so different than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I don't like it. I mean I like those kind of things. I think they should be as progressive as they can be. Um, but I don't know if I ever grew up like you know, really wondering or, or worrying more about the announcers that I did what was happening in the game. Um, what about Monday Night Football? How about Monday huh? Night Football? How about, like, Monday Night Football? Yeah, I mean, Cosell and Gifford and those guys, I mean, you know, I'm, were those your guys? What's that? Cosell and Gifford and those guys, were those your guys? Um, yeah, I mean, I loved watching I, I loved yeah. all of them, you know, uh, through Monday Night Football. As long as Howard was there, it made it entertaining. Right. Like, there was a bigness to that, to Monday Night Football. And I thought the, I thought the announcers um, added to that. But also, you know, Ed, we grew up in Southern California. So we were lucky enough to have Vince oh, Scully, yeah. you know, uh, which added to, think about it, you know, on a summer day, uh, listening to the Dodgers on the radio or watching it on TV, he added something to it, especially when you listen to other, um, you know, baseball announcers. Chick Hearn with the Lakers. Uh, these are local names that me and you know, and I think a lot of people right. know too. But we were pretty lucky when it came to that. We were really fortunate. I mean, there's just been, and I actually know people, and I think it's more them trying to be chameleons and like trying to say something because they know everyone else disagrees to say they didn't like Scully, which I just don't believe. Ridiculous. I don't think there's ever been anyone who can weave stories and keep the broadcast going he was an absolute genius and brilliant at it so i loved that about him and he was just as sharp in his elder older years which made me even more in awe of him his last few years i don't you know i mean talk about not losing a fastball and you know listening to chick was awesome because you know i think both you and i grew up fans of those teams um so yeah i thought you know i we were kind of uh really fortunate to have those guys in areas we grew up in but look there's people in Boston who's going to tell you, they, you know, Johnny Most. Johnny Most. Ever, you know, it's, it's, it's all where you grow up and who your guys are and 
Um, I mean, that that's a great thing about broadcasting to a certain region. You kind of become their their folk heroes and, you know, the gods of, you know, you know announcing the teams you love. Well, uh, we're going to get into the Raiders in one second, but uh, to to your point, remember Phil Nevin played at Cal State Fullerton and uh, absolutely. I, I I was actually in San Diego uh, when he was with the Padres. There you go. Okay, so he tells a story about his first at bat at Dodger Stadium uh, as a Major League Baseball player. He goes, uh, "I get up there, you know, I'm nervous. This is my hometown crowd, all that." Uh, he flies out or whatever the case is. Uh, and he ran back into the dugout, had to use the restroom. So he had to go down in the clubhouse uh, to use the restroom. And uh, while he's, you know, heading to the clubhouse or in the clubhouse, Vince Scully still, they, they, they piped, you know, the, the broadcast into the, uh, into the <laughs> clubhouse. And he's like, Vince still telling a story about me. He goes, I was floored. I was blown away. Like, Vince Scully is talking about me. Like, if you were yeah. a kid from Southern California and you were a baseball fan, that's who you're, you know, you, you idolize Vince Scully. So, yeah. to your point, even a major league baseball player was blown away by Vince Scully talking about him. So, oh, I think, I think any, and any, anyone who played for the Dodgers, never mind visiting players like Nevin, anyone who played for the Dodgers holds him and, you know, beyond the highest regard of who he was and what he meant to that franchise. And just hearing Dodgers past and present talk about him, you know how revered he was. And, again, he, since he's taken to Twitter, since he's taken to social media, he, you know, he again, he just seems as sharp as ever. You know, he'll do these videos on Twitter mm-hmm. where he seems as sharp as ever. And what, it's, Vin's got to be 90, late 90s, obviously. Yep, exactly. Still going strong, and uh, we hope that that lasts uh, for a good long time. Uh, we're talking to Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, uh, my good friend and the great columnist, uh, one of the best in the business. Uh, Ed, today marked the day one of phase three of the uh, NFL team's off-season programs, including right here in Las Vegas. We're going to finally get a chance uh, to see this team out on the grass on Thursday. I know you're going to be out there uh, in Henderson. One in particular is Ed Graney looking for uh, when he uh, peek, takes a peek at practice on Thursday. Uh, this is going to be, this is going to be exciting because I think it's the first time, you know, we've been able to be out there with any kind of McDaniels, uh, flavor to it or feel to it. Yep. Uh, so that's going to be really cool. Um, see how he interacts compared to past coaches and how, how his system is set up. Um, I'm no different Vinny than probably most people, um, where, you know, I'll probably walk down with you and look at the offensive line and, and see where guys are slotted and, you know, how they look. I think, you know, that's, you know, we're not breaking any news here. You wrote about it this week. That's the one area where I think people are most, whether they're concerned, whether they're interested, whether they're optimistic, pessimistic about it, um, that's the one area everyone wants to know because you gave your quarterback a lot of money. You got his favorite receiver, gave him a lot of money. This offense has a chance to be dynamic, but not if that offensive line, you know, isn't better than it was last year. So I'm going to walk down there probably with you and, and a lot of people. I would guess a lot of media's enjoys It'll probably be the most media watching an offensive line in the history of uh, OTAs. A lot of pictures will be taken of the offensive yeah, line. And, exactly. you know, I know that there's a lot of work that needs to get done, but if I was Josh McDaniels uh, and I had a little playfulness to myself, uh, I would line up Colton Miller at center and, like, Brandon Parker at left guard, at left tackle, just to just to see what the reaction would be uh, as we 
quickly tweeted tweeted out, you know, Colt Miller playing center just to just to have a little bit of fun. So uh, I don't think he's going to do it, but uh, wouldn't surprise me if there's a few little surprises out there, maybe to deke us a little bit. Uh, that that happens too. Uh, but Vinny, go ahead, Vinny. I'm not so sure the Patriot way is Colton Miller at center for us to take pictures. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, and that is interesting with the new regime, uh, how they handle things. I I I, I get the sense, Ed, um, that there's a lot of they get it. They understand it, though. To be honest with you, uh, with with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and 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 all the others, just the way they've interacted with us, whether it was uh, at the combine or at the owners' meetings or uh, in the in the times that they've made themselves available, like during the draft or pre-draft, I feel like they 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 understand that that part of it, and I think that bodes well um, for for everybody, including us, uh, moving forward. But uh, certainly, we'll we'll get a better feel for that uh, this week, um, Ed. When you think about Devontae Adams now being uh, on this roster, it's been sort of a, I wouldn't call it a mirage. Um, you know, we, we know that he's there. We know that he's on the roster. Uh, everybody uh, understands that part of it, and he's going to be here for, you know, four years or so. But uh, it's, it almost feels like one of those, it's, it's not real till we actually see it. And uh, how anxious are you to see Devontae Adams lined up out there with Hunter Renfro and, and Darren Waller and, and just to see what that actually looks like. Oh, like everybody else. I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Uh, you, you know, we've literally obviously just watched him from afar, afar when he was with the Packers. So now to see him on the field of the team you're covering and see how he looks is going to be exciting. Um, there's a lot of weapons, man. I mean, he's got a lot of weapons, uh, whether it's Hunter, like you said, Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Marcus Roberts, people like that. Um, he, he has a lot of people to throw to. And it's just going to be cool to see the dynamic between him and Carr. Um, uh, you know, I remember, in, I remember when they're at Fresno State. I was in San Diego covering sports in San Diego, um, and they had played San Diego State that year, I believe. Uh, so yeah, um, excited to see him and uh, and and most of the offense. You know, you get once you get past the offensive line, you start walking over to the skill position. You know who I'm really excited to see? Who's I that? I want to see how Josh Jacobs runs. Yeah, you know they didn't pick up his option. That, that uh, you know, Zamir White's coming in, this hot-heralded rookie. They have a huge room. Kenyon Drake, they have a huge room of guys. So I really want to see how Josh Jacobs responds. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be able to tell whether in their shorts or not, but as the camp, you know, as, as the OTAs go on and the mini camp and then camp, I think he's a really interesting one to look forward to and to see how he responds to everything that happened in the offseason and all the people that's in that room right now. I agree. I think they've built some tremendous competition at that running back room. And usually when you do that, um, you get the best out of everybody, especially if they handle it correctly. And there's a lot at stake. Yeah, if they're for... professionals and handle it correctly, then you'll get a, then you'll get the best of Josh Jacobs. No doubt about it. And if you're if you're Josh Jacobs, I mean, there's a lot at stake. You're playing for your next contract. Yep. So the only way you ought to be wired right now is to handle it correctly. And and I know Josh, um, you know, enough covering this team that I feel like he's got his head in the right place when it comes to that. And I, and you know what? He's going to find wherever it is, whether it's still here in Las Vegas and you can't rule that out or, or elsewhere, he's going to find a landing spot. Uh, so it behooves him to enhance that um, landing spot by having a great year. And it starts with handling things like this uh, correctly. And, and I, I think he's going to handle it uh, correctly. Uh, Ed, you mentioned Derek Carr. Uh, we can sit here and make a case um, for when when you look at Derek Carr's career here with the Raiders. Um, there's it, it always seems like a wheel falls off, or the the wheels weren't even available for him around him. Uh, even last year, he got off to a great start, and then the Henry Rugg situation happened, and then Darren Waller got hurt. The offensive line never quite came together. 
Um, and so kind of had to put the glue and the tape and all that and try to survive. And they actually did a pretty good job of doing that, winning 10 games and getting to the playoffs. Um, but this year, it feels like if things um, – if, 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 if the Raiders can stay healthy, let's put it that way, offensively, Devontae Adams, Waller, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, the running backs, all of that, it feels like for the first time Derek Carr really has everything he needs to succeed. Does he seize that and run with it, um, do you think? Uh, or what, what do you see happening, especially if everybody stays well, healthy? I mean, I, I agree with all you what you say, and then we go back to our original part when we started this, is, you know, is he going to remain upright? That I mean, if, if he remains upright, there's no reason they can't have, you know, one of the more dynamic offenses around. But, you know, that's going to be the key, you know. Is he, is he given time to throw, or is he, you know, running for his life? Is he, is he hit 12 times a game, or is he hit only four times a game? So, I mean, I think everything's there for him, to your point. Uh, he just has to hope the people in front of him get better from where they were last year or, you know, um, have people come in and steal jobs. And, you know, I mean, you know, Dylan Parham come in and, and prove, you know, he's more than a rookie. Alex Leatherwood, you wrote about him this week, you know, prove he can be better than he was. He wasn't good last year. So I think everything's there for Derek. I think it's just going to go right back to what we started with is, you know, how is the offensive line? Because if they're good, you know, to go from what they were last year to be great, I don't think that can happen. That's a huge jump. But I don't know if they need to be great. They, they definitely need to be above average, and they need to be good enough to keep him upright so he can make those throws to the people you're talking about. And then if that's the case, then I think they could have a really good offense. Last question for you, Ed Graney, and we are talking to Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, the uh, award-winning and great uh, columnist, one of the best in the business, uh, to do what he does. Uh, Ed, you've been in these parts for a long time. Um, you know, you could say that the Raiders are such a national brand. You could even say worldwide brand. Um, they, they, they just are. But there's also an important element going on, and I think there's progress being made, but I want to tap into your expertise here locally. Um, there's no doubt that they have a national uh, brand intact and a national fan base intact. How do you feel like the local fan base uh, is coming along for the Raiders? That's a really interesting point because we're such a transient city and there's so many people who live here who came from other places with already allegiance to the other teams. I think we see that sometimes when teams come in and, you know, how, what, what colors are in the uh, Allegiant Stadium, whether it's the Chiefs or other teams, you know, these, these national brands. I think it's coming along more. I think people really like the fact that they live in an NFL city. There's only 32 of them. Uh, perception is reality. And when you have an NFL team, your city is perceived as big time, no matter how big the market is. And, you know, we're not the biggest market. But I think it's coming along more and more. I think if they went and look, Vinny, it's like with the Golden Knights, and I was here, you know, obviously the first year, and I saw the misfits, and I saw what happened with the team and the shooting and what that meant to the town. This They will never repeat that, the Raiders, thank goodness, because of well, all that went around that. But when you win, people love you. So if they can win and go to the playoffs again and kind of make this an annual thing, trip to the playoffs and go deeper and deeper, the fan base here will just get bigger and bigger. People just want, you know this as well as anyone, you've covered sports a long time, people just want to win. And if they build a winner here, if McDaniels can build a winner and a consistent playoff team, then I think that local base, no matter how transient it is, will like latch onto the Raiders and become bigger and bigger. Ed Graney always brings uh, the heat. Uh, he, of course, is the uh, the, the host of the uh, morning uh, press box uh, here locally um, on ESPN Radio. We really appreciate the time. Ed, as always, I'll see you out there on Thursday. Take, take care and uh, be well, my friend. See, 
See you Thursday, buddy. Talk to you soon. You got it. That was Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, also, just a reminder uh, that this half of the In the Huddle is brought to you by the Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas. There's nothing worse than living in chronic pain with little hope. Neuropathy and Pain Centers of Las Vegas offers genuine relief from even the most severe and persistent forms of pain. Call their office today or book an appointment online to find out how to live as pain-free a life as possible. We all deserve that. Give them a call, 702-257-7246. You are in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again to Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Always bringing the heat. You're li- we're live uh, from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio here in Las Vegas. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Hey, gotta say. Shout out to our friend, uh, Jose, who is in uh, Phoenix right now, and it was his birthday. So we want to say happy birthday. Uh, He's out in Arizona, I should say. Uh, Jose, happy birthday, Uh, and we hope that Patty uh, showered you with everything you deserve uh, on your your big day, and you got spoiled because you deserve it, Jose. Uh, So thank you, uh, and uh, happy birthday, our our good friend, uh, Jose, uh, out in Arizona. Uh, By the way, um, just to uh, also let you guys know, uh, you know, it's 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 it it could be your time to buy or sell a home, and the Realty One Group uh, here in Las Vegas wants to be the uh, uh, transaction maker for you. All right, so uh, in order to look, the the market's hectic right now. It's crazy. It's insane. We all understand that prices are going through the roof. Um, and you need a professional to help uh, appease everything that you're trying to do, whether you're buying uh, or selling. And the Realty One Group uh, has got that uh, part of it covered for you. They know the market. They know the neighborhoods. They know how the transactions work. They know the ins and out of what needs to happen uh, for you. Uh, so they uh, are, have you covered. Uh, the Realty One Group was founded in Las Vegas, and it's been their home for more than 11 years. They've been opening doors for their clients and opening doors for real estate professionals to live better lives. It's what they do. Uh, They're also proud to give back to the community, donating their time and resources to make an impact. So again, if you're, whether you're buying or selling, give the Realty One Group a call at 888-461-0101. When we get back, uh, our good friend Rich Ornberger, former NFL player, played for the Patriots uh, and the uh, then San Diego Chargers. He's going to join us in the huddle to talk about what exactly happens in this phase of the offseason program. It's a hugely important step along the way. I know it's not the biggest step. Uh, it's still just May. Uh, but, you know, championships are won in December, January, February. But teams are built right now in May. This is the, when the foundation for building a team starts. And we're going to talk to former NFL uh, offensive lineman Rich Ornberger to explain what exactly happens this time of year. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Radio Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday. Jose, happy birthday. 